we pick up our, our deep dive into this powerful epistle of Peter's in the fifth chapter. We pick it up in the fifth verse. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares upon him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. It is not specifically explained why Peter would turn his attention to one specific segment of the community of faith, but he does. You notice he mentions very specifically in verse 5, you younger men. Why does he address younger men after he has addressed leadership? Well, we can only speculate. In Peter's generation, as in our own, young men tend to be the most aggressive, headstrong, obstinate, and argumentative members of any group. They often think that they are smarter, they know better. And Peter uses the Greek word nouteros, that is new, youthful, regenerate. Perhaps they were young in the faith and did not know what they did not know. I understand. When I was a teenager, I thought my father was so out of touch. He did not have a college degree. He worked a blue-collar job. But as I talk to you this session, I must confess, age and maturity have led me to a very different realization of my father. I can say to you as I speak to you now that my father is one of the most intelligent, one of the wisest men I know. When I need counsel, insight, or perspective, my father is always, always, always the very first person I call. What changed? Did he get smarter over the course of time? No, I did. I was smart enough to know I did not know it all. I did not know everything. But my father's life experience had created with him not created within him knowledge and practical wisdom that made him one of the most incredible men I now know. We talk a couple of, of times a week, whether it has to do with ministry, whether it has to do with vocation, whether it has to do with everyday life, he is the individual that I rely on. There is wisdom that comes when I speak with him. So I understand, like these younger men, when I was young, I thought I knew it all. Now that I am older and no longer have hair, I realize I do not know it all, but my father knows a great deal, and I rely on him. So he says, younger men, likewise, be subject to submit to your 
elders. That word submit or be subject to, the, the tense of that verb is what carries the strength. Peter uses a, a verb tense that implies that this submission is not only willful, that is you don't do it because you have to, you do it because you want to, but it is also joyful. So Peter is saying to these younger men, after he's addressed these elders, young men come under the authority of those God had placed before you. Look at verse five, continue to follow along with me. You younger men, likewise, submit to your elders. And then he says, and all of you, not just you young men, but all of you that are part of this community of faith. All means all, but and that's all, all means all of you. You younger men, likewise, be subject to or submit to your elders and all of you. And then we find this phrase, phrase clothe yourselves with humility. The word clothe means tie something around yourself. All, every member of the household of faith is to tie around their waist what? Humility. Humility. Now, I wonder if these words took Peter back to the upper room. The night before Jesus was betrayed, they'd gathered in the upper room together. All 12 were there. At that point, even Judas, who had not yet gone out to betray the Lord Jesus, they were all there. They were going to partake of a meal together. They were talking back and forth of what was going on, but there was no servant in that upper room to wash the feet of those who had entered the room. And Jesus did something very significant. He went and he grabbed a towel. He, he raised his own robe. He got a basin of water and he began to wash the feet of those who followed him. In fact, it is worth sharing with you. It's certainly significant to our discussion in this session. In John chapter 13, I pick it up with verse three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself, that is, he tied it around himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So far, so good. Verse 6, so he came to Simon Peter. Now we see the connection between what occurred in that upper room and what Peter is saying to these precious saints in his epistle. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if you do not, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Ouch. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, 
and then in reference to Judas, but not all of you. The Lord of all became servant to all that he might become an example for all. So when Peter says here in 1 Peter chapter 5 to clothe yourselves with humility, his mind inevitably went back to the Lord Jesus who set that example for him. And then he tells us that we are to clothe ourselves with humility. Now we tend to to back off on that concept because we think that by being humble, it means we're going to get run over, that we are to be meek and that meek means we get kicked up by people around us. There was a little group that met. There were people that had low self-esteem and they called themselves, the acrostic was doormats and it stood for dependent order of really meek and timid souls. Well, that is not what Peter is talking about. He's not talking about humiliation. He's talking about humility. Well, what's the difference? Humility is a clear understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus and a deep realization that we do not deserve it. That's humility. Let me say it again. Humility is a clear understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus and a deep realization that we do not deserve it. That is humility. And so Peter says to these suffering saints, clothe yourselves with humility. Have a clear understanding of who you are in Christ Jesus and a deep realization that you do not deserve it. Clothe yourselves with humility. Humility. And we continue in verse 5. You younger men likewise submit to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. I would submit to you that almost every church conflict is a violation of this principle. When an individual within the body of Christ, the community of faith, thinks that they are more important, more deserving, their wants, their wishes, their will, their way, rather than looking out for the wants, the needs of others, that creates church conflict. And it indicates that there's a lack of humility. So why should we humble ourselves? Well, I'm glad you asked the question because Peter goes on to address it. In 1 Peter chapter 5 again, uh, verse 5, you younger men likewise submit to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Here it is. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we operate in pride and arrogance, when we feel like we are more entitled and more deserving than others in the family of faith, Peter says God himself takes a position in opposition against us. And I would ask you, who can stand when God opposes him? Can there be any success? No. No wonder the Bible warns pride comes before a fall. Notice, however, when we walk in humility, he goes on to say, when we walk in humility... God may oppose the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What is grace? We have defined grace very simply as God's riches at Christ 
expense. That is why the proud trust in themselves, the humble rely on God. And when the humble rely on God, God provides more blessing and more favor. In verse six, therefore, on the basis of what I've just said, on the basis of the reality that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves before each other, and certainly humble yourselves before Almighty God, understanding that you are what you are by God's grace and God's grace alone. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Why? That he may exalt you at the proper time, at the right time. That is, that, that term, the proper time or at the right time, provides an eschatological tone. Peter is looking forward. He's looking ahead to what is to come. Now, he, he is pointing them to that glory that is to be revealed at Christ. And because humility leads us to a greater dependence on God, because we know God can be trusted, because we understand that we can rely on God, then he takes us to verse seven. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Casting, that is, we can lay our load upon him. Our cares, our anxieties, our burdens. The, the Greek word cares literally means to be divided to be blown in different directions. Whatever distracts us or divides us tends to take our focus, our attention away from God. This is the warning Jesus issued to Martha back in Luke, the 10th chapter. They had gathered together in the home of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. We find a passage of scripture often used in regard to Mother's Day events. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus and the 12 arrive. The Martha and Mary are there. And in verse 38, we see, now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet. Now notice the distinction. Where is Mary? She's at the Lord's feet. She is soaking in the reality that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is in her home. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Martha was running around like we would say in our vernacular, a chicken with her head cut off. She wanted to make sure, now she had a servant's heart. She wanted to make sure that everyone's needs were met but in seeking to meet the needs of everyone, she was not soaking in the presence of the Savior himself. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Doesn't that sound like two squabbling sisters? Then tell her to help me. Jesus, tell her to get up. Martha was not prepared for the response. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. That is, you're distracted. That's what Peter was trying to communicate with casting the cares because you know he cares for you. Casting means scattered. That was Martha. She was scattered doing so many things. 
You are worried and bothered about so many things, but then look at the distinction. But only one thing is necessary. All of these things are important, but only one of these things matters. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Besides, when we try to do everything ourselves, what tends to happen? We only compound the problem. And so we must choose to cast all of our cares, all of our anxieties, all of our worries on Christ. Why? Because he cares for us. How do we know he cares for us? Well, all we have to do is look to the cross. Look at what Jesus Christ has already done for us. Look at those nails in his hands and in his feet. Look at that crown upon his perspiring brow, all out of love for you and me. And why would God do all of that for us and then turn his back on us? And that is why we can say, I trust God. I cast all my cares upon God. Because we rely on the promise of the word of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We trust in God. We cast our cares upon God because of what God has done for us in the past. We know we can rely on him in the present and we know what he has in store for us in the future. And then we get to verse 8 of First Peter chapter 5. This warning that Peter offers to each of us. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And we've talked about the concept of being sober. Peter has used this concept before. It means keep awake in your spirit, keep alert in your mind, because your adversary, look at the two identifying characteristics of our enemy. Your adversary, that is a plaintiff in a lawsuit. The devil, that is the slanderer. What does a slanderer do? A slanderer seeks to destroy our credibility and our character. And that is what he does in a court of law, in a lawsuit. The devil is a slanderer, and he is going to do everything he can do to discredit you. So be sober, be alert, keep vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, and then I love the illustration, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That is, he seeks to cause panic in order to cause the sheep to scatter. Now, now think about this. Attacking lions do not roar. Don't lose sight of this. Attacking lions do not roar. If a lion is seeking to attack a zebra, he does so in stealth. He seeks to sneak up on that zebra. He doesn't announce his intentions of attacking by roaring. 
When a lion attacks a zebra, he does so by stealth. But when a lion roars, what he's seeking to do is separate the flock. He's seeking to drive the weaker away from the herd. Now for Peter, this was personal. It's interesting, as I watched this, I looked at the concept. Remember when Jesus was betrayed in the garden and everyone scattered, Peter followed from a distance. Some of you may remember that biblical narrative. The others had scattered, but Peter followed, but he followed from a distance. When Jesus was taken into the court, Peter followed. He, he positioned himself by the fire just to observe, but he was on his own, right? He had no support. There was no one to stand with him. In fact, we see it in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. And I will, I will get to it. Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. There is a statement made by the Lord Jesus in regard to what is about to come in the life of Peter. He says in verses 31 and 32 of Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And so Peter had followed at a distance he was on his own. Jesus knew this was coming. And when a little bitty servant girl said you were with Jesus, he said, no, it wasn't. No, I wasn't. He betrayed the Lord Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. I do not know the man. What happened? When the jackals attacked, Peter had no reinforcement. The lion proud, the lion roared, Peter scattered, and then he was attacked. Ouch. Well, how do we handle this roaring lion who prowls around seeking whom he may devour? We're told in verse 9, but resist him. Take a stand in opposition to him. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Locked loaded, cemented in your faith. And again, what is faith? Forsaking all I trust him. There is such a deep reality in your heart, in my heart, that we are going to trust Jesus Christ that that roaring lion does not waver us from our conviction and our stand. Firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. They were not to waver in their confidence or their conviction. They must cling to the reality that God would vindicate them in the end. And beloved, we should not abandon our conviction and our confidence either. God stands with us. He stands with us for us, and he will deliver us. And so we resist the devil. We stand firm in our faith, knowing that we do not stand alone, but others stand with us. 
And we keep our eye on the prize that one day we will leave this life and we will pass into the life to come. And because we have stood strong amid the roaring lion, God will say to us, well done. I do not know what you're going through. I do not know the storms you're facing. But beloved, if there's one thing that you learn from this lesson, I pray that you would learn this. You are not alone. You are not alone. God stands with you. God stands for you. And even in our disintegrating culture, there are others who are doing the same thing all around the world. So I want to end this session by praying for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for uh, these precious listeners who have joined us for this session knowing that we are living in a hostile world, a world that is growing even more hostile toward things of faith. We see it in print every day. We see it in the news every day. But Father, the lion may roar, but we will not be moved. And so we pray that you would continue to strengthen us. You would continue to help us to stand strong, knowing we're not standing alone. And knowing that you have given us something that the world cannot give to us. And praise God, this world cannot take away. And so we take our stand, placing our faith, forsaking all. We trust the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us on the cross. And in everything we say, in everything we do, we want to honor him. That we might stand before you on that day and hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Beloved, we'll see you next session. Once again, let me thank you for joining us on this journey through God's Word. We know your time is precious, and so we consider it an incredible privilege that you've chosen to spend it with us. As I have shared before, we'd love to hear from you Knowing how we have encouraged you encourages us. Recently, I had an individual say, I sit in front of my computer with my Bible, with my notebook, with my pen, ready to learn from God's Word. If you're watching on YouTube, you can leave a comments note at the bottom. We'd love to see those. Or you can reach us. Our email address is wordpowermm at gmx.com wordpowermm at gmx.com. If watching this ministry and learning from God's Word has encouraged you, please tell others about us, whether they watch us on YouTube, find us on Instagram, or on podcast. We'd love to know that we are being used by God to help people go deeper in their faith. God bless you, and again, thank you.